0: Hello and welcome to episode 214 of the washed up emo podcast i am tom mullen from WashedUpEmo.com. today on the podcast we welcome back for the third time evan weiss evan and i have had spoken two other times episode 23 in 2013 and episode 66 in 2016 today we talk about his new projects his favorite emo albums of all time and we look back at the revival era with a critical eye We only had an hour with this busy man, so strap in for a quick one. I am sure he'll be back sooner than later. So thank you, Evan, for stopping by for the third time. Also, thank you to Patreon supporters who keep the lights on and voluntarily help support this endeavor. If you are out for helping out, go to patreon.com slash washedupemo. For just a dollar, you can hang out in the Discord and hang out with us. It's a good time. And also, thanks go out to Double Elvis, my podcast network. They have their preemptive podcast network, and I'm happy to be a part of their team. Learn more at doubleelvis.com. This is episode 214 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Evan Weiss. Urban loyalty on 6th Street What's going on?
1: Fucking love it, dude.
0: <laughs> dude, that sounded a little Vermont of you right there. That is a Vermont saying.
1: Oh, uh, uh, what? Fucking love it, dude.
0: Yeah. no, it's more of like, uh, like yeah, bud or yeah, dude. It's 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 not it's not like Deuterino from Big Lebowski, but it is close.
1: I got a I got a good friend who lives in Rochester. All right. uh, That's the same tier.
0: That's close. enough. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, and and it may have been like a subconscious uh, quoting of his of his inflection. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) Fucking love it, (laughs) bud. That is
0: exactly it. (laughs) Nice work. How you doing? I'm all right. Surviving. Surviving.
1: That's the name of the game across the board. You and I haven't spoken in a long time. I'm ready for you to just take me on a journey. I'm down to talk about whatever the, whatever the hell you want. It's it's
0: 2023. The last time we spoke, podcasting was misunderstood a little bit, Evan, because I think <laughs> someone in the room was playing music the whole time. And I love... Uh, I mean, I mean
1: well, How dude, funny I mean, is
0: that now to think that, oh, you're just doing a podcast? I'll throw on some, you know, I'll throw on some music. And I'm like, it was very funny. <laughs> and and we did it on your bed, so we're finally doing it apart from each other, which is a little yeah, harder.
1: Yeah, it wasn't it? Wasn't it? Wasn't my, bed, you know, I, my bed? Has always been out here, but um, but yeah, I mean that that would have, had to have been uh, twenty thirteen. Yeah. Has it been? Ten, has it been ten years since I've been on this podcast? I think I, like, so.
0: I, I think if oh, I, okay. I, I think someone will correct us, but I think that's yes. Let's just go with that.
1: To me, that sounds accurate. I, I'm into like, it. <laughs> You're about to make an into it over a joke. Everybody gets one into it over a joke. Oh, right?
0: I didn't mean to oh. do that. Shit.
1: But you know you know you know what I'm saying? Like it's yes. like it's one of those jokes that's like a layup for <laughs> anybody to like goof on me on. And so the running bid is that once somebody makes like uses their joke. You know, cool. Everybody gets one. You get one. You know, <laughs> um, and I have a few friends who've never made one who who have told me they're saving it for for really like the right time. Which...
0: I like that. You know what's really interesting about us chatting now versus if we had chatted before is there was a there was a time when when we talked you were in it. You were in the middle of it. There was all these things happening. There were so many shows. There was so much going on um, that was exciting, right? And a lot of bands connected with me. So many people were sort of, you know, there was a lot lot of, so many people, way more than me, that were doing things. And I just think it's funny now that you have a bunch of anniversaries coming up, and that's sort of what, you know, this sort of turns into... um, you know, from a, like a documentation standpoint. So it, I, I think it is a cool moment to speak again because you've had time to reflect.
1: I mean, well, it's, it's actually, it's definitely part of that. Um, I will say that strangely enough, I am busier with music now than I was 10 years ago when we last talked. Wow, And, and it's more so in the way where, um, my priorities and viewpoint on business and viewpoint on creativity and viewpoint on equity in music and, um, have just changed and shifted in so many ways and in ways where we're like, we've been able to really take control of what we do and how we do it and be able to integrate and interface with people who are fans of what we do very directly and very, um, consciously like very very uh curated it's right. like a very curated way of us doing that but that being said you know like we've you know uh really leaned into our own record label we've really uh we built our own recording studio here um which has really allowed us to do everything and anything that we want to do um so we've been able to really uh focus on releasing music writing better music writing quality music recording it ourselves working for ourselves and then seeing that direct return ourselves, which was not really like a thing during the whole second half of when I would say into it over, was really active probably like 2011 to 2016. Um, you know, we weren't seeing any of that return. Wow. You know, in, in a way that was really challenging. I think there's, it's hard to be a band at a certain level and to get to a certain point. And then, you know, you, what's the old adage, right? Like you got to spend money to make money. It's more like you got to spend money to lose money. And, <laughs> and so right. like, you know, it's tough to kind of break that that ceiling, and I think that's a you know a tale as old as time. If you're talking about bands in the emo realm, you know, like how 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 far can you push it before commercial viability? Before there's that rub between like commercial viability and like genuine artist artistic satisfaction. You know, um, at least that's my feeling on it. And uh, so now we're able to do whatever the fuck we want, and it's awesome. You know, like and that's kept us motivated and busy and, uh, and sincere and just like doing things the way we want and having them sound, I think the records we are making now sound better than the records we were making, you know, ten, seven, ten 10 years ago with way bigger budgets. And, you know, so it's like just being mindful of our time and, uh, focused on, on what's best for us, you know,
0: that's really interesting. I mean, I get that you, there's that that shift one of the things that popped in my head and we can keep discussing this point was uh, you feeling like you were doing better or feeling like these things you know that you're working on you're busier than ever but if you're if you're thinking back to when it was going on like are there any discussions that you've had with people in that similar way of god remember 2012 remember 2013 or remember 2014 and look at us or have have you heard other thoughts around this time past of what was happening then and what is now and what you sort of learned because I don't know there was a lot of deer in the headlights then
1: (laughs) yeah I mean no one knows what we nobody knew what we were doing you know like there's there's no like guidebook on how to properly do stuff and right you know pun or no pun intended you know it's like there's no, there's no guidebook for that to be able to like there. And there's no, um, you know, you're just kind of flying by the seat in the moment we were just like flying by the seat of our pants. Like we're doing stuff that we're told is the right thing to do by management or booking agents or, you know, and it's like, and the big learning experience that I got through all of that, which I'm glad I have that experience. I, I, you know, hindsight is 2020. There's things I would have changed and decisions I would have done differently looking back on it. And it's, um, but uh, you know, I, Every moment is a learning moment. So now I can step into this portion of my life and realize, like, oh, we don't have to, a band doesn't have to be on the road eleven months a year to to make the experience creatively satisfactory, creative creatively satisfaction creatively satisfactory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like to be satisfied creatively and to also make money. You know, like the the biggest thing that I think people try to tout and even still do, which I, you know, I get it. There's money to be made in touring, but like there's also money to be made creatively if you're if you're willing to uh, put the time in and focus, you know, on things like honestly, like writing and releasing music or or, you know, self-releasing. I, I, I empower and encourage any band to self-release their music at this point. You know, like it's. It's it's substantially different. When, you, when you're able to break it down financially. And so like, yeah, it's it's it, in the moment. Yeah, deer in the headlights, 100%. That's a great way to put it. You know, we didn't, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what we were getting into. We didn't know how far it was going to go. It wasn't until it started to feel at the detriment of our physical, mental health and checkbook that it became time to like kind of step back and reevaluate what we were doing at the age of like 33
0: you know what were those moments when you were like, "This is this is weird." <laughs> I'm joking because you can say a thousand things, but just one of those like, "Why is this happening?" Like it just, it just seems, it just. Se- I felt that there was a moment where everyone was into it, and I know uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make the joke. I'm just feeling like, and then there was like a moment where it just like I think everyone was like, "How can I not do this?" How can I go another way? Like everyone just sort of like almost took, you know, someone fired a gun in the air and everyone just scattered in different directions.
1: I I have to tell you, I'm willing to bet in my mind that the 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 big shift was at Trump winning the election. Like I I would say that with confidence, that that was the moment where everybody kind of reevaluated what we were doing and why. And I, I know specifically that's the experience that took into it over it down, but it did. To your point, it did feel like our generation, our crop of bands that we all kind of came from, that that generation of bands all decided, kind of almost unanimously, to to step back at, at that moment. Which you know? is
0: which is similar to what happened with the '90s. Like these records that were made were like they wanted to run away and they made their weird record, right? And it got panned at the beginning or wasn't, you know, people moved on or whatever. And then years later, people go, man, that was their best record. And at the time, (laughs) and I feel like that's sort of what similar kind of, everyone wanted one sound. The bands did something different to try to take them along. And many did, but a lot didn't. And I just, I was like, I saw the similarities and I saw the, I saw, I was happy that they did it and because they were doing it for the art, it wasn't, you know, I, I, I'm going to do this to be X. Um, and I never really thought of the the Trump part too.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you're, you're talking about people of a certain age realizing that, realizing all at once, literally overnight that their lives were going to become significantly harder. And right. that, you know, w- at that moment, you know, we're, we're living in Obama era America where we're, it's, you know, where health insurance at that time was affordable and it was able to like, you were kind of able, to, and I mean, there are, obviously, there are ways to get, you know, great health insurance now for, for a lower cost, at least a lower cost than during the Bush years, right? So right. like, um, so, but we're, you know, we're in, we're in Obama era America, we're, we're able to have our health insurance on the road, the economy's doing pretty well. And here comes this fucking cowboy ready to like basically dismantle all the things that have made touring and like kind of living this bohemian lifestyle accessible for a while. Um, couple that with the fact that we're all entering our early to mid thirties, you know, and, and a lot of us have goals and aspirations and dreams beyond just being in a band yep. and then also seeing instances of bands that we really love and appreciate going through the motions of nostalgia-ish boring, you know, like I didn't personally, I would, I've got to believe a lot of musicians who I know and am friends with or who like came up in the same world as me don't want to be that musician that is like in their mid to late 40s playing the record they wrote in their 20s over and over and over again because that's what people want to hear. So I think this combination of things plus the, you know, but really the reality of being like, oh, like Obamacare might get dismantled or, oh, uh, you know, we actually need to be um, supportive members of our, like, literal community, you know? And it and it was scare. It was, it, it fucking makes me so mad to say, like, to look back on that decision and be like, man, we were right. But looking back on that decision and pivoting our lives at that moment, like, we were right. And that is really really tragic also like i'm really grateful for us having made that decision when we did i yeah. think all of us are all of us are much better more stable more healthy um just points in our lives you know music or not yeah and as of that i can look at my music career with like a totally reframed point of view one that's much healthier and more sustainable and you know we, we've been talking about this but
0: that's amazing um,
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah. So that's that's why I think that's why I think you see that. You know, I think a lot of, and I, I bet if you polled a lot of bands who are the same age group of me, you know, maybe like because I'm thirty eight, so like, the the thirty one to forty year old musician crowd, they probably I'll tell you right, roughly the same thing. Right. I mean, scary time. man. Yeah,
0: no, it totally. I mean, everyone has those memories of you wake up and you're like, "Wait a minute, what happened?" And then handling, you know, the chaos day in and day out. Um,
1: oh, dude, we were in Europe. Wow, we were in Germany. We went to bed and Hillary was in an the lead, and we're like, "We'll be fine," and woke up to things not being fine.
0: Yeah, yeah, nope's, nopers. Um <laughs> The um. What else, you know, I guess if there's, you know, that sort of shift and rebirth a little bit for yourself, what other what other things did you find yourself um, getting into that you might not have seen before that were right in front of you?
1: Things that I had seen right before that were right in front of me. Meaning
0: like if... I I don't, I'm not saying basket weaving, but I don't know. There was, there was something that was in your house or there was something that you had wanted to do. And without that clarity or without that step back, I mean, you could even talk about even just storm chasers or even just any of these things that you sort of were like, like you said earlier about doing it on your own. Like I don't need a label. I don't need X, Y, and Z. Um, some of those sort of moments are really freeing and scary at the same time. So
1: well, we fall we into a really specific and fortunate position. um, we, and it is a very fortunate and specific, like, thing, situation that this band is in. Um, I play in, I play in the band now. Intuit Over it finally is a band. It's no longer just me. It's four people. We all have equity. Everyone owns everything 25%. It's no longer a solo project, which, that was the first big, like, realization. You know, like, focusing on music in an equitable fashion that you're working with are feeling supported and have some skin in the game and i think that was kind of the, the the overarching issue of how the band had been run before i don't think that's anybody's fault i think doing a project that is a solo project and then turning it into a collaborative effort is a really hard thing to do and i don't know if at that era the band there was a desire to make it like a uh to share that equity but i ran into a group of dudes who are now the band who the relationship is really really great and so that's allowed for a lot of um, changes in the attitude because you know everyone's got their say everyone is contributing equally you know like there's a uh, it's not so much all this pressure being on just me it's really really hard that was that was a big part of like my brain not being able to do the band uh, not being able to just take all the what was happening you know right. Eight, 10 years ago, I just couldn't handle it. Um, and you don't realize you can't handle it until you're like, until you step outside of it. And you're like, man, and so, like able able to leave, being able to leave and then look back on how I felt and what my anxieties were and stressors were. It's just like, oh my god, like I was miserable. Like <laughs> how did I, you know, how did I do that for so long? How did my body and mind handle that for so long? You know, like I'm so glad to not be doing that. And we and I didn't for years. You know, like really step back. Um, but so I also play in a band with three people who are all involved in, uh, the MI industry, the music instrument space, you know, like I work at Reverb, Joe works at Reverb doing content, Matt works at Zounds, Adam works at Sure. We're four geeks when it comes to that stuff. Uh, the three of those guys are all audio engineers. Um, Adam and I were able to build a recording studio that exists in the same building as the press plant that manufactures all of our records.
0: That's Awesome.
1: Dude, it's so we're in a really, really unique situation. I'm I'm with three people who can all engineer a record. And so we're able to self-engineer almost everything that we do. We work in professional roles where we have access to gear more easily than most people, not just access, but also knowledge. You know, like we have, we have a really good, really good set of skills. Then beyond that, we're able to work locally with our vinyl manufacturer who like, like, the person who's our, our uh, who's, like, the present plant manager who I work with on a daily basis is my coworker's husband, you know? So, like, <laughs> I know that, like, when I'm getting vinyl manufactured, it's supporting not just, like, this local Chicago company, but also, like, my friends, you know? Like, these are people that I knew before they worked there, you know, who are, like, getting that paycheck partially out of the money that I'm spending to have man- records manufactured. Um, it's also allowed us to support our group our collective group of musicians and friends at large in a way where what we're doing on the vinyl manufacturing side is in no way at detriment of what anyone would digital streaming side we don't touch digital at all um i don't believe in it i don't i don't think it's equitable for a record label to invest five to six months of time into somebody's record and then own that a portion of that record in perpetuity or even for more than three to five years like you get, if, if you were to put out a record on a, on a label and what are most deals 50 50, they own 50% of your d- digital streaming for 10 years to perpetuity. Why? They're only talking about it for six months. Why would they own it for so long? Um, so there were a lot of things that I saw and recognized in, in music that I didn't agree with and was able to apply that to something that I think is more fair for. Not just us, but for our friends, while also integrating, setting up a setting up a situation internally where we are set up for success. You know, where we can do things our way, and that takes work. You know, like that takes a lot of logistics. But now that the logistics are logistics are in place, it's really easy for us to be self-sustaining, and um, you know, like I said before, curated with our effort.
0: And it has, um, and it and it's been mostly. And, and correct me or in, inform the audience, mostly your projects or have you partnered with other people and other projects that you've believed in?
1: Oh, I mean, there's a bunch like, OK, yeah. So um, that's a great call out. So like Rap Boys, for example, mm-hmm. Rap Boys, uh, they're part of our they're part of our immediate Frank Marcus, who plays drums and Rap Boys also plays drums and Pet Symmetry. So they're part of this like extended family universe. But Rap Boys works with Top Shelf. Um, what we're able to do with an instance like that is, you know, we've, you know, with our label Patreon and our subscription, which we can talk about that if you want, but with the way that that goes, it's like, we know the people who are involved in our, our work are really invested in Rap Boys also. How can we partner with Top Shelf and Rap Boys to be a part of that rollout, to be supplemental to what they're doing? So we did a vinyl reissue of their very first EP, which they were re-recording for the record "Happy Birthday Rap Boys," and we were able to partner with Top Shelf on, you know, kind of giving this like deluxe edition package to the most core of fans, which is like our, our Patreon and Rap Boys Patreon, along with this like bonus LP. Um, we also did like a limited, specific colorway with Sincere Engineer with their last record that came out on Hopeless. It's like. Um, Adam who drums in into it over it, also drums in Sincere Engineer. So there's these connections that extend beyond just what we're doing. You know, and then today, for example, we were able to partner with No Sleep for the 10-year anniversary of Proper, which now it's the 12-year anniversary this year, but um, better, better late than never. <laughs> so... You know, we recorded a live version of the record. We were able to put together this deluxe version where, you know, it was a double LP, so the live version and then like the classic record. And No Sleep and Us were just able to split it up the middle and um, work in a really equitable, or fair, transparent way that let us do what we wanted to. And it's like really, that's all labels need to, to understand. It's like if you're there for a band and do and working with them as opposed to um, against them or like in your own best interest, if you're working in everybody's best interest and not just in your own, like you'll see the success that you want and also have the loyalty from, from the artists that you work with. Right. You know, like that's it. That's the Asian man model. It's like Mike Park just works with the artists and listens to them with their questions and, and desires and hopes and wants and works with them on that. And then because of that, he's, you know, renowned throughout the industry as being like the most fair and equitable and awesome dude to work with. (laughs) You know, like it's just, uh, it's, it's, um, putting people before business, the biggest part of it.
0: Yeah. Did you, did you have, did you have these thoughts when you were on labels and and doing these tours? And I guess everybody does, but no, no,
1: not at all. I was so I was such a dick. Like I look back on these years, like my late 20s, especially my late 20s, with just such regret in terms of like how I was, I was just very, I had a totally different kind of like cutthroat attitude. And that is, uh, you know, was ill-informed by just what my team was at that time. And I think also what, you know, people tell you and and you you don't know, like I said, it's the Wild West, you don't know what you're doing. You're just kind of like deer in the headlights, clueless. And so you listen to the people around you and take that to heart. And also that was a really exciting but also challenging moment where like a lot of bands were coming up at the same time and all experiencing success at the same time. And it's also really difficult to be in that moment and also not feel like low-key competitive with the people that you're around. Right. that anybody who says that they weren't low-key competitive at that time is a liar like we all were and it's not i don't think that's anybody's fault but um but i think that's ultimately also the demise of why you know why there are waves in any genre but why there were waves in emo specifically it's like it's the build-up and breakdown of those generations of bands and that just comes through that um you know, like the generation before us, or actually the generation before the generation before us would have been like that, that get up kids, you know, saves the day thing. And if like, and those dudes will be the first ones to tell you that they're, you know, competitive with each other about their opportunities that they get total success, stuff like that. So, you know, we are just another, we're just another chapter in the, <laughs> in the history repeats itself book, you know, um, I wish I was, I wish in the moment that, uh, you know, we were more active and dealing with things like label budgets. And uh, I wish I just thought with a little bit more, um, there, there are decisions that I'd made that I look back on and I, uh, I'm glad that I did them, but also like with the hindsight and things I know now, like I actually wish I'd made standards with like a lower budget. You know, like, I wish we had done, maybe done that in Chicago. I wouldn't trade my experience a tiny telephone. Right. I love that experience. What a, what a fun record to make. But we could have done that in a more equi- equitable, sustainable way. And so, and like, figure was kind of like the proof of that. Like, like, we were able to make figure for like $7,000. Wow. And that was just us, like, buying the gear that is in our studio now that we get to continue to use for records to come. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like the, you know, figure of all the records into Over it's ever made figure was the one that cost the least. And I think it's the one that sounds the best. And so it's kind of like the, when you realize that, or if you're able to like, you know, compartmentalize, or we about it that way, it's kind of like, Oh shit. You know, like <laughs> we could have, we could have done things way differently, you know, and we didn't because we were told that, that, that was the standard. That was the way to do it. And um So when you realize that there is no there is no rule book, there is no playbook, you can do whatever the fuck you want, that's that's a huge realization.
0: I, I absolutely agree. I, I think being in those moments and you start to hear from the people that, oh this is okay, so we're at this level and then we're gonna do this next and then we do this and then we do that. And and there's this this sense of um like you said everyone around you saying the same thing having the same thing told to them and in the pre-world before there was more control or there was a way to distribute that was definitely the only way but as it sort of evolved i think you i think that moment the f- the fourth wave or that sort of had this the experience of the internet but it being overwhelming while still pieces of the uh historical music business intact in some ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so I mean, yeah, we do it, you know, do I, did I learn some things? Yes. Hell yeah,
0: you did, but there was no way you would have, there was no way you would (laughs) have known otherwise.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad, and I'm glad that I know, you know, and it's like, I, I look at other projects and artists and friends and, you know, and I love giving advice if, if I'm asked for it and, you know and my and i always you know back it up too with like yo know, my my opinion my advice may not be the right advice like nobody's going to know no one will know you know speaking to another artist another band like no one's going to know your band better than you know your band
0: right like,
1: no one is your manager's not your booking agent's not your friends aren't your colleagues aren't you know your band better than anybody else so before you make any decisions based on what you think somebody else thinks you should do think about what you want to do like <laughs> You know, like, think about what you want to do. And I, I think that's uh that's maybe my, my biggest lesson. I wish I'd done more that I wanted to do back then.
0: That was beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? I, I have a few other ones, and I want to reference the... Twitter that we ended up reconnecting on which was hilarious and also the Patreon but I love asking this because it's fun I mean thoughts on the word now Oh, on emo what other word do I talk about
1: The three letter word I. you know I. Uh, you gotta get so sick of people talking about or feeling about their um, wanting to distance themselves from that Right. And I, and it's a phase, it's a phase that everybody goes through and they're pigeonholed into that world. Um, I was because the progress was, and then in turn into it over, it was, and then in turn, every other band I ever did was like, even bands that I don't necessarily think are like couplet will always get lumped (laughs) in that just because of who's in it. You know what I mean? Um, I'm comfortable with it now. I, you know, if I think about why I got into the music I did and why I got into the bands that I did and why I got into the subculture that I did. And, you know, like my gateway to everything was emo music. And so like, what am I going to do? Just turn my back on the, on literally the, the thing that is why I am the way I am as an adult. Like, you know, so I went through that. I went through that phase, like everybody does, when you know, around the time I was like 30 years old. Oh, I don't want to be emo anymore. It's not taken seriously. You know, like these days, I'm just happy to have a career at all. <laughs> and if emo is the thing that will ultimately help me be able to release music um, at some level on mass and have people engaged with our creative arts and and what we like to do and present, like they can call whatever the fuck they want. I, you know, I'm I'm happy to participate, and I fucking love those records and those bands and the, and the, that world. You know, I I can't say that I don't. It's not true. I love it. So, um, so yeah, my feelings about it now much different than they were, you know, eight nine years ago. I've come around. I've made peace, like most people do. Right. And uh, and I appreciate you championing it for so long. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was not a setup for that, but thank you. Yes, I feel it's interesting hearing uh, everyone then and now, or you know, s- speaking, you know to most everybody and asking their thoughts and how much they hate it or um, the part that I find fascinating is the the removal of one'self from the word. Is like no one has a choice, but for some reason, there's some that champion it, and you know go full tilt. But then it's like it's it's not even connected to it or not even related to it, and it's just sort of a like you know a marketing term, which anything is. Um, I just you're think talking about like emo bands versus emo night, more from the music side of of. Having this attachment to it going away and then people bringing it up and then, but some of the bands, right, break out. Some of the bands get on an indie label and somehow it's shed, right? Or it transfers into pop culture or it transfers into a different realm. And I just think there's this interesting, like, minutiae of like, you know, like a portal and like other people got out and were able to like survive the word and others weren't. And I don't know if yeah. there's another genre that has that sort of, I don't know. It's almost like a, like, like this door that other, I don't know.
1: I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, jazz is kind of like that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of like someone like Herbie Hancock, for example, mm-hmm. is a great example, uh, Quincy Jones. It's like these are jazz musicians who transferred into pop, they're jazz musicians first and foremost, you know, but, um, you know, and I think hip hop is a big one, you know, like, the transition from hip hop to popular music or R&B to popular music, like, that's a big one. But the transition is always to popular music. It's never to, you know, something else. You know, like, I couldn't suddenly put out, like, a fusion jazz record and not still be called Emo. And it's just like, no matter what I do, it, it'll forever be that, you know, like. So, I, you know, and I thought about that. I have thought about I I've, got like, I've really like I really, really, really want to do an Intuit Over record that's a soul record or like a, like a funk record, you know, like how fucking fun would that be to write like that tone soul music, but like me singing on it, (laughs) do it. I want to, I do, but I don't know how to write that. So it's like, I have to start working with other musicians if I want to do that. But no matter what I would do, even if I did that, it would still, you know, it would still be called, it would still be called emo. Right. You know, it's like even artists like Beck, you know, or Bjork or like, what are artists that like change their style all the time? Um, You know, they still get pigeonholed into the thing that they came from. Right. I think like uh, I'm fortunate with Intuit over it, that because the very first thing the project ever did was so varied in sound that it set up the project in the future to kind of like really do whatever we want. And granted, we stay within a certain, you know, we stay within, you know, some guardrails with a few things, but like, I do feel like I could make any kind of record with Intuit over it, and it would still be, you know, in some levels appreciated. <laughs> so, you know, who knows? Maybe one day. I'll, I'll tell you though. You'll know when the project is done completely if I do fifty-two weeks again. Right. That'll be that'll be when you know I'm putting it to bed. That that's how I've always wanted to end the project. Is is doing another 52 weeks and then at the end of that last week it's over. Like <laughs> <that's>
0: it. <laughs> What do you um what are your feelings on some of the fifth wave stuff? Have you have you dove into that world?
1: Yeah, I mean, I um yeah, I mean, I I it, it's kind of you know, I don't want to feel like such a fucking buddy duddy, But uh there's a few records I really, really appreciate. I really appreciate the Pool Kids record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually think the the screamo stuff happening now is the coolest stuff.
0: Name some like, bands.
1: I think like Gillian Carter. Like what they're doing is really, really fucking cool. Um, my buddy's playing this band called Pez. There's, that used to be uh, those dudes used to be at Frameworks. I thought that shit was really awesome. Um, I think like what callous Dow is doing is super cool, even though I know they're not fifth way to be all, It's more like metalcore. but it's like that can overlap. They're pushing, they're pushing, they're from our world, right? You know, like they're, they're cut from really similar cloth. And I think they, um, they're doing something really fun with music right now. I think it's fucking cool. Um, you know, and we've done. A band stress fractures from Pittsburgh, who I think is really rad. Um, you know, I think that that band Expert Timing from Florida is really fun. I really like their stuff a lot. Um, you know, I, I, it's, I'm actually at a really, it's funny that you bring this up. I'm in a really funny era in my career where people are telling me they started playing in bands because of Intuit
0: Oh yeah. Get ready for that.
1: And I, I gotta tell you, that is the most flattering thing i think you can hear a musician like i know that that's the thing that i say to bands when like if a band if you can watch a band play and that makes you want to pick up a guitar that is like easily the coolest thing you could say to a band like that's how sweet pill makes me feel like when i see them play or listen to that record i'm like damn i want to play guitar you know like that is so cool (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so you know, to feel like we could, we could have been that for someone or like some, someone to over record fee 10 years ago could have been that for someone. Like um, it's really, really special. And so I'm excited that there are still really cool new young bands doing it. Like, you know, I see the success that, you know, someone like Origami Angel has, and I think it's just so fucking cool. And so, um, you know, the the fact that it's still being championed, the fact that there's, young kids still getting excited about this genre of music it's you know I'm, you hear this probably from every fucking interview you do but um yes it kicks ass and it gives people like me a longer career you know <laughs> the fact that it keeps going like you, you if, if the fourth wave if the wave that i was in didn't happen like that that stuff that we did just extended the life of you know, like a braid and get kids and, you know, mock orange and all of these bands, like they get to keep being bands because there are still people discovering all this stuff. Absolutely. Really? The, what I should have called that was American football getting back together. Like that doesn't happen without, without all of us.
0: (laughs) I know. No. And then, I mean, I, I remember, I remember I love telling that. I love telling people that story where it's like, yeah, the record came out in 99 guys. No one gave a shit. Um, people played it and it moved on, but there was this era of kids that just latched onto it and yeah. started, you know, so I, there's, th- that's what I think about too, about like a life of something and you put it out and you think X amount happens to it and you move on. And like you said, the labels got two months in it and then they shelve it and yeah. they're on, they're on the next thing, but it's kind of rad to watch things pin- have another life
1: put a pin in that comment it's like that's the thing it's like who the reason man bands not negotiating their digital catalog more smartly myself included back then like thinking about if some record i wrote 10 years ago all of a sudden just like had a song like never meant and it just clicked in some weird way where a whole fucking genre of bands or like new era of bands is able to start because this one record just got really, really popular out of nowhere or just started getting memed out of nowhere. And then I got to pay somebody from 15 years ago, 50% of that success. And when that record was just like, no one gave a shit about it for <laughs> you know, 10 years, you know, it's like, Oh, Tom, I could I could wax poetic on this shit for hours. <laughs> if young bands are listening to this podcast. Negotiate your digital catalog carefully. Please,
0: <laughs> I love it. I love. Rich,
1: it. Rich, the Mike would have been if Polyvinyl didn't own, you know, however much of that they own. But then again, you know, does does that band have that career without Polyvinyl? Who's to say? Well, that's
0: I. I will just as in uh, I know someone has it in defense of genre, but I'm going to do in defense of labels because I worked at them. There is a lot that goes into those things that I think um, is part of it. Is that equal? not necessarily, or is the time spent equal? Um, those are the breaks or those are those the decisions that bands and managers and things like ne- negotiate of what I want from this release or what do I get? I don't know. I don't, some of those yeah. things will happen naturally. And sometimes I I experienced it. The label didn't do a thing and it just happened and they were able to capitalize it in a way globally or regionally or something that maybe someone by themselves couldn't, that's not to say it wouldn't have happened otherwise. So it's such a, it's such an it's interesting so cra- topic.
1: It's crazy. And you know, it's like, it, yeah, I mean, who, what came first? Chicken or the egg? I, I think like, I mean, and this is, and that's not me slamming on all either. I, I fucking love Polyvino. We still partner together all the time. We're doing stuff with there, they're there and we pet sim. And it's like, you know, there's like, I would also argue that the, someone like Mike doesn't have a career at all without them. Right, like there just doesn't it doesn't it it doesn't happen so it's like but that that being said i mean who doesn't love the fact that you said that yeah like the record came out in 99 who doesn't love the fact that in 2009 that record has a whole second life out of nowhere like seemingly who doesn't love that so now i'm thinking like man what if some record me or one of my peers did like what if all of a sudden out of nowhere like you know uh slingshot dakota (laughs) you know has like Mm -hmm. somehow spawns this whole new generation of like two-piece cool keyboard bands you know like that'd be crazy and they're it'd be awesome and they're primed to do it you know so it's just the thought of that that could happen in any moment some shit from yeah like or like yeah like you think about like fleetwood mac having that number one in in 2020 because some dude was skateboarding drinking ocean spray Listening to dreams,
0: yeah, yeah, no, and th- and th- that's that sort of, um, you know, you 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 can't predict those, and it's 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 a moment. Sometimes they're a meme. Sometimes it lasts a weekend. Sometimes it's fifteen minutes. Other times it's half a second, and then other times, like uh never meant, is just it just keeps evolving. Like there's more oh. and more ways to, you know, crack jokes around it or um, make sort of these references and it's like in the canon and it's just, those are, those are interesting, but then you're right. Maybe there is a song that hits for a summer or hits for uh, a certain moment. And um, that's beautiful because Perfect. people now can go find it before yeah. it was, Oh shit, I got to go to the record store and then I go get it. They got to bring yeah. it home. Now it's instant.
1: I got to buy Hounds of Love at my local record store because I saw it on fucking Stranger Things, you know, like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. You
1: know, so
0: um yeah. I wanted to mention uh I think what what spurred this too was was your tweet um P, the Twitter which is people are still on um t- talk about your uh your social media post and then what happened
1: <laughs> I think I finally I guess should look it up I finally figured out what I think my top 5 favorite emo records are and um and they're all from a specific era it's all the same era uh but, but- say say the tweet out loud Hang on, let me find it. I'm just going to search email on my Twitter thread, see what comes up.
0: Because uh, I just love that I got tagged. And then also I will, I will um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to mention, one, one of the records you are going to mention, um, I will uh, staunchly uh, explain how I've been saying that for fucking 20 years.
1: Okay, so, <laughs> so, okay, so here uh, my tweet was this. It was, every time I ever did the Washed Up Email podcast, I never actually talked about email. <laughs> which is true. Um, I th- I think think is in parentheses. I think these are my top five emo records in no particular order. So it's Sunny Day Real Estate's "How it, How It Feels to Be Something On," Braids "Age of Octane," Cap'n Jazz's "Snap and Schmaz, which I would have written the whole title, but you only had 140 characters, right? Right. Um, mock Orange, the record play, and Van Pelt's "Sultans of Sediment." So
0: that that, and, uh, that is a solid five. I was not expecting the Mock Orange.
1: Oh, Mock Orange, frankly, is. Uh, that record is not my favorite record of all time, but that band is in maybe my top three favorite bands of all time. I think they have a, a perfectly flawless catalog. Wow. And I celebrate all of the records. I actually think they are the best representation of that time. And the one that was the most, uh, the one that was the least, uh, renowned or beloved like, like their, their talent and influence is not reflective of how popular that band was because they're like, dude, like, like the progress does not exist without mock orange. That was the band. Like people can say like, Oh, it's great. You guys sound like Brave. And it's like, yeah, we love great. But like mock orange was the band we were always trying to rip off. Like there's actually just such intelligent guitar interplay in that band in a way that is really not done by anybody else. And, uh, and it actually took me doing psychedelics for the first time to realize how psychedelic that band is.
0: <laughs> I, had a, I had a quote earlier to cut out for the Instagram reel, but I just replaced it with that one.
1: <laughs> it really is like they're just so fucking cool. And And when the record when I heard the record play the first time, it's just like. The, the mean songs are so mean, the, the drums are so well, Heath is just like the best, of all these bands, Heath is the best drummer. And like, it's, it's just, they're just so fucking cool. That record is transformative. I mean, the first time I listened to that album, I was like, this is what I want to, this is how I want a band I'm in to sound like. You know, like, and then for their for them to take this whole, like, shift halfway through their career to change and just sound completely different. And, like, really taking on this journey. Like, for Mind Is Not Brain on, it's, like, a total fucking journey. And there's guitar shit on Put the Kid on the Sleepy Horse that is, like, literally some of the craziest guitar shit I've ever heard. And they are just so underrepresented in terms of, like, how much, how, like, shreddy they are. You know, like, I love progressive guitar music. And, like, I think there's shit Mock Orange is doing that is, like, way more crazy than a band like Polyphia is doing or, like, you know, like that's a example to me, like a, just the first thought of like a crazy shreddy band. Like they're doing stuff that's on par. It's just a totally different style. So you don't even notice it. And um and so like that record specifically taught me or tried to instill in me the uh way of looking at music where to me my whole goal with Intuit Over It and I think with there that there with Pet Symmetry too to an extent is to make the music as tricky as possible without the average listener being to identify that it's tricky. Like I want to write shit that is fucking technical. And if you're a musician, you know, that shit's nuts. But if you're just an average listener, you you would never notice. You're just like, Oh, this is cool. It's got a great hook, you know, like whatever. That's, that's what mock Orange does so well. Um,
0: Vote mock orange 2024. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh Sunny Day Real Estate, How It Feels to Be Something On. Um, I've always said that's their best record. Uh I will go down any the the years of everyone finding diary and self titled and I'd be like, uh how it feels, baby, front to back. No.
1: Yeah, that's that's my desert island. I get one record to listen to for the rest of the time. That's that's the album. It
0: happened. It had a blip. They they went poof and it sort of I think people went back to it. Like I said earlier, people went back to that record and went, Oh, 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 just listen to the whole fucking thing. Shit. Days were golden was pretty tight. Let me start it again. Like, that's what happened.
1: Dude. Well, well that, I mean, also that record came out when I was at the prime age to discover it. That was, that was my entry point. Was that record too? Fuck. Yeah. Um, cause that was what? 97. I thought
0: 99. I, ah, people are gonna be like, I
1: thought that was your favorite record. Um, yeah, whatever. I mean, dude, what, whatever it's from that era i mean i was 13 when i found them so that would have been
0: 98
1: yeah so that would have been i was 13 so yeah so i probably bought it right around the time it was put out and didn't know you know but like yeah i was i was just in the right right time right place that that is the record to me i mean the one that i think is the most controversial on this list is braids age of octane um but i've always been more of a fan of the roy era stuff like i i think like it's just um it's meaner and faster and the lyrics are i think cooler the songs are kind of bizarre and like uh it's just got this energy to it that like something like framing canvas doesn't have where it feels like a little more polished and produced and framing and canvas is the the obvious setup to hey mercedes which you know and i like all that stuff but like age of octane has like a really special place in my heart there's just a couple tunes on there specifically too that like wrench so good and like um i mean captain jazz is an obvious one it's just like the blueprint of awesome melodic chaotic fast thoughtful emo stuff like you know it's just that it's like the perfect right it's the gold standard you know for like a specific style of emo stuff and um and van pelt like that record hit just hit i you know a friend lent me that record when i was 14 or 15 years old thought i would really like it and sure enough i did i just um it's just a record that i've listened to still probably once a week of all these records that's probably the one i listen to the most often now at you know almost 40 years old
0: all right promo time you got a minute left
1: oh my dude um well so into it over it. busier than ever uh putting out a bunch of records this year more to come next year um Intersections is turning 10 this year, so maybe you know, keep that on your mind if that happens in September. Uh, there the There is going on tour with Sweet Pill in March. Um, we're going down to South by Southwest. We just put out an album called There There Three, uh, which was in Ian Cohen's top emo records of the year last year, in case you were wondering. Uh, <laughs> and then um, we'll be doing a couple of other things this year, uh, vinyl related, and um, hopefully start writing new music. A uh, couplet's going to be releasing some new songs this year. Pet Symmetry is working on a new album right now. Um, but the biggest thing is our uh, Storm Chasers limited Patreon and record label subscription. Uh, we put out a vinyl record every single month um, from either one of our band, one of the bands I'm in or like our extended universe. Um, it's a one time fee per month. Vinyls shipped to your house every month. Uh, you know, and it's a lot of just cool shit that we're able to make and uh, do it in a really community driven equitable uh, fashion it's my favorite project I've ever worked on and um, and a rising tide raises all the ships so uh, yeah if you're interested in seeing what we're doing getting the exclusive content listening to podcasts and, and interesting stuff that we're doing talking about kind of getting some exclusive access behind the scenes to what our world is and if you're a fan of the bands from Chicago that we're all involved in uh, come sign up which is patreon.com slash great job evan thanks tom i think we need another chat there's so much to talk about